0: Hello there and welcome to Thursday's program. I hope you've had a nice day, have you? My name is Richie Allen. This is The Richie Allen Show. Reach out to me during it, have your say, via the Richie Allen Show app or via the website Comment Live.
1: Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio
2: show.
3: it's the richie allen show broadcasting live on RichieAllen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world and now here's your host richie allen
0: yeah for the very first time in 2024 my old friend kevin barrett will join the program A little bit later on this hour, in about 30 minutes or thereabouts. Terrific broadcaster and writer is Kevin, academic. He's in Morocco these days. I want to talk to him about Gaza. I'd like to talk to him about the European Union approving a $50 billion package for Ukraine. We'll probably talk about Iran And what's happening with Iran as well. So Kevin Barrett this hour. Do not miss that. And and a little bit later on. I came across a TikTok video this morning. Don't panic. I don't have a TikTok account. Heavens forbid or heaven forbid, even. I don't have one. But somebody was kind enough to send me a link to a TikTok video, and I was intrigued by it. It uh, was a video put up by The Mindful Nurse. Uh, This is mindfulnurse.co.uk. So it's Poppy, and Poppy is a very experienced nurse, registered, of course, with a background in emergency and acute medicine. She is working these days as a holistic nurse with a, an approach to health care for mind, body and soul. And she made a TikTok video about excess death numbers and figures here in the UK. And it's interesting and she's interesting. So she'll be on the programme in our two. We'll have a chat with Poppy. So it'll be a busy and it'll be an interesting programme, he says. And I've already said it, but I'll say it again. It's worth repeating. Do please get involved. Be inactive. Do not be an inactive listener. Be active, don't be inactive, and tell me this I'm just curious now uh, this is this This is not a scientific poll at all, but I know that uh, you've probably not had the jab, probably I know there are some people who listen and they had the jab before they realized what they'd done, and thankfully, they're not having any more jabs, but I'm guessing the great majority of people listening have not had jabs, so I'm just intrigued to know about you this winter, as we come into the final stretches of the winter. Have you been ill? Have you had a bug? Have you had the flu? Have you had any respiratory illness at all? Have you? Yes or no? Let me know one way or the other. And what about those around you, particularly those who might have been jabbed? I'm just curious, really. Again, it isn't a proper poll anecdotal let me know i'll be interested i had a few giggles listening to the radio and the telly today you know as i prepared this program and this monologue fascinating um you know the tech companies you know like tiktok and facebook and x was x there i think they were they were all there Um, went well had to come before a congressional hearing yesterday which is all about safety for children on social media and it threw up one or two laughs um one of the laughs which uh, I have to thank my my friend my great old friend Gerald Salente from the Trends Journal a brilliant uh, publication which is out every week these days the Trends Journal the journal trendsjournal.com he'll be back hopefully on the program soon but he 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 pointed me in the direction of this it made me laugh uh, TikTok you know t- I've just mentioned TikTok well, its um, chief executive is a man called Shao Chu. I hope I pronounced that right. Shao Zi Chu. Uh, not for the first time. He was at a congressional hearing. And he got into a little bit of a spat with a senator who is as thick as mints, as they say in these parts here in the UK. A senator called Tom Cotton, a Republican from Arkansas, wanted to press the issue of loyalty and patriotism and nationality with the tiktok guy who is from Singapore and even served in the Singaporean army listen to the senator
4: of what nation are you a citizen Singapore are you a citizen of any other nation no senator have you ever applied for Chinese citizenship
0: Chinese senator I served my nation in Singapore no I did not
4: do you have a Singaporean passport Yes, and I
0: served my military for two, two and a ha- half years. In Singapore. Two two and a half years in the military. Do you Singapore.
4: have any other? Do you have any other passports from any other nations? No, Senator. Your wife is an American citizen. Your children are American citizens. That's have correct. You, have you ever applied for American citizenship?
0: Not, no, not yet. Not okay. yet. Right. He goes on.
4: Have you ever been a member of the Chinese Communist Party?
0: <laughs> Senator, I'm Singaporean. No.
4: Have you ever been associated or affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party?
5: No, Senator. Again, okay. I'm a Singaporean.
4: Let me ask you some hopefully simple questions. You said earlier in response to your question that what happened at Tiananmen Square in June of 1989 was a massive protest. Did Anything else happen in Tiananmen Square?
0: Yes, I think it's well documented. There was a massacre. Uh, There was an
4: indiscriminate slaughter of hundreds or thousands of Chinese citizens. Yeah,
0: Gerald Salente dubbed this guy Senator Tom Cotton. Forrest Gump for the ages, absolutely. Right, it's uh, six minutes past the hour. Let's move on and talk about um, Nicholas Sturgeon, the Scottish First Minister of yesteryear, not so long ago. Sturgeon, of course, was the First Minister... Uh, During the COVID years, the COVID storm, and appearing at the COVID inquiry yesterday in Edinburgh, we talked a little bit about this yesterday and in the Papers podcast this morning, Sturgeon appeared a little bit emotional as she cast her mind's eye back to the bad old days so Sturgeon uh, did and I found this amusing. I happened late last evening to be messing around on social media and I came across a clip, this from LBC Radio and a presenter called Ian Dale, an interesting character not much of anything really, works as a radio presenter, he's a Thatcherite, written books about Thatcher, used to follow her around in the 80s, tried unsuccessfully to be elected as a Tory MP several times and failed, Uh, Ian Dale is pretty useless right, but uh, Nicola. Sturgeon was a bit emotional and Ian Dale had sympathy for her and he made a rather unusual comparison. There's a
2: large part of me wishes I hadn't been. Um,
0: Mrs Sturgeon choking up when she thinks that a large part of her wished she hadn't been First Minister during the Covid scam? Me
2: wishes I hadn't been um, but I was and I wanted to be the best First Minister I could be during that period is for others to judge the extent to which I succeeded. Uh, and i think you know you've seen snippets of perhaps you know the, the sort of human side of of being a leader and a politician in these moments at times in those early days i i felt overwhelmed
0: she recovered very quickly it must be said
2: overwhelmed by the scale of what we were uh, dealing with and perhaps more than anything i felt an overwhelming responsibility uh, to
0: do the best I could. Here's Ian Dale. I I have to
3: say that when I heard her say I just wanted to be the best First Minister I could be, I know exactly what she meant by that, but I was just reminded of Princess Diana saying I just want to be the the princess of people's hearts.
0: (laughs) She reminded him of Princess Diana. Now, it's probably fair to mention that Dale is gay, so that might give him a pass. It might give him a pass. Does anybody else find anything... Remarkably similar between Nicholas Sturgeon and the late Princess Diana. No? Anybody? But, uh, yeah. I thought it sounded like Princess Diana when she said, I just wanted to be the princess of your hearts. Um,
3: now, People have responded in various ways to her slight choking. I mean, she didn't cry. There were no tears as such. But she did choke up. And it's something I can completely relate to. because
0: Of course you can, because you're a sociopath just like Nicola Sturgeon. This is what sociopaths do. And any journalist with half a brain, any journalist with any modicum of ability to do a little bit of research, it is a classic sociopathic trait to appear to choke up and then to recover really quickly. Because it's bullshit. So, here's Ian David, well, I do the same. Because
3: I do that quite often. As regular listeners will know, because no- you're a sociopath. Nothing you can do about it. You can feel it coming on, and you try to stop it happening, but you can't. So, I have no doubt that her Im- showing of emotion there was very genuine.
0: There you have a radio presenter's p- p- support, purportedly, purportedly there to hold power to account basically endorsing the former First Minister of Scotland, Nicholas Sturgeon, and comparing her to Princess Diana. <laughs> that's a stretch of the imagination that's even beyond me and I've a vivid imagination. As you know. When Nicholas Sturgeon's space suit expires and she shuffles off this mortal coil, as I said yesterday, it will be pineapples up the back passage for eternity. Well, for infinity. Uh, infinity multiplied by infinity, I would imagine. If uh, Lucifer has any, anything about him. Listen, politics is dangerous these days. It's no laughing matter. You might think about this before you throw your hat into the political ring. Because I, I notice that a lot of truthers these days um, are are talking on various social media channels about running themselves in various local elections and and even London mayoral elections. Listen, people should do whatever they want to do. Good luck to them. So everybody's talking about it. But you just might want to think about it because it comes with it's dangerous these days. You've probably heard this today. The Justice Minister, I talked about it in the Papers podcast, a guy called Mike Freer. Mike, the Justice Minister is leaving... Politics because of the abuse he's stepping down. His family are so concerned about the abuse he is taking that Mike decided over Christmas to step down. His husband Angelo, is there anybody fucking straight left? Is there anybody working in public life who's straight? Is there? His husband Angelo said, I, well, d- Mike, he said, said Angelo, I'm incredibly jittery, that's a quote, about your safety. Mike has been wearing a stab vest during events in his constituency. Now, I have to be fair about this. Right, we saw the murder of Sir David Amos less than a couple of years ago in his constituency office. Of course, Joe Cox was murdered shortly before the Brexit referendum in 2016. She was a Labour MP. That being said, the circumstances around the murder of Joe Cox are utterly bizarre. And I i happen to think that the guy in prison for the murder of Joe Cox, I'm not sure that story adds up, and I talked about it at the time, I'm not going to get into it today, but anyway, in any case, it might be fair to say, to acknowledge, is that maybe it's a bit more dangerous these days than it was maybe in days gone by for elected officials. So here's Mike Freer explaining this to Julia Hartley-Brewer on Talk TV today. Well,
2: to be fair, many MPs have to cope with a lot of low-level abuse. That's kind of part of the course, whether it's graffiti, uh, whether it is just generally um, being shouted at. That sadly is kind of the modern-day political discourse. But over the years, I've had mock Molotov cocktails um, on the doorstep, I've been followed around Brent Cross Shopping Centre being shouted at. Um, I've had a run-in with Muslims against Crusades who threatened to come and stab me. Had a very near miss with the man that went on to murder David and at Christmas Eve I've had an arson attack, notes left on my car. And it just there comes a point when you think, you know what, um, it's not fair on um, my family who have to also bear the stress. And also, to be fair, people forget our staff are the ones who answer the door answer the phones who also have to bear this. And political discourse should be robust. That's a part of our democracy. But, you know, when MPs have to start fearing for their lives and also their safety of their family and their staff, that goes beyond the point that it's acceptable. A little bit more from him. No, I think what's changed is... Um, Social media, uh, I do believe, has a lot to answer for. It allows people almost to be threatening and abusive with impunity because it's it's virtually anonymous and social media companies are very slow to react if they react at all. And email, I have to say, you know, email allows people to say things uh, that they would never say to your face.
0: Well, they don't get too many opportunities to speak to your face, in fairness. Now, he might say this guy, Mike Freer, well, once a week I meet... Once a week, I attend my local area constituency office and I do see constituents who might want to bring their concerns to me. He might say this, right? And many MPs do this. They they, they do put themselves out there a couple of times a month. But um, for the most part, people don't get a chance to see their MPs. And their MPs usually will are not making house calls. The only time you'll see an MP, if you're lucky is in the run-up to an election when they're canvassing with their supporters. But I have to say this, in five years living in Salford, where I live, never seen an MP. Never seen an MP, never seen a would-be MP, a candidate come around, knock on doors, asking questions... Um, you don't get to see them, and that's—I think—that's an important point.
2: And so, it generally makes the whole level of discourse much more coarse, much more abusive, and I think it becomes a bit of a downward spiral.
0: Mm. They're probably going to. Th- th- this will. This is obviously kind of feeding into the online harms bill, where where they do. I, th- I think eventually where this might be heading is that social media accounts in the near future, might only be made available to people who can prove their identity or who do prove their identity. So where every social media company, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Twitter or X, whatever it's called, then you won't be able to have an account unless they know exactly who you are and where you live. I think that's where it's obviously going. I, 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 listen, I'm no genius. I wouldn't be the first person to say this, but that is where it's going. I won't play you the next clip. Brewer did put to him did he think that he was the last MP? Or he would be the, the last MP to resign because of harassment? And he said no. Um, and over on Times Radio. Uh, Jess Phillips wanted to weigh in on this. The whole notion of MPs having to quit because of the abuse coming in online and from elsewhere. Uh, Jess Phillips is a Labour MP. Um, She's not the most popular MP of all time, it must be said. I would argue that maybe Phillips is possibly the most unpopular female MP in history. And I'm I'm not ignoring Margaret Thatcher. Uh, Phillips is grossly unpopular right I couldn't care less they're all the same to me but she's not liked and um, she's had a bit of abuse too and she wanted to talk about it well I mean
2: I have a folder in my house where I'm sitting currently that has like uh, uh restraining orders in it um because I didn't I had to make a special folder because I didn't want to put them next to my kid's birth certificates
0: she had to make a special folder for the ex- for the restraining orders that she has out against people because she didn't want to put the restraining orders next to her. Kids, birth, certificates. That's the only choice she had. <laughs> Jess Phillips, right? Who who are these people that are threatening Jess?
2: Uh, so, I have I think three or four currently standing, some, time, some of them lifetime restraining orders of people who have harassed and threatened me. There is a man in prison who has twice been sentenced for um, threatening to kill me, even from prison. Uh, Me and two other members of Parliament, uh, even whilst he was in the prison system, he was still continuing to send us threatening uh really, really graphically threatening about how he was going to kill us,
0: even from prison, sounds like sideshow Bob to me was it sideshow Bob Jess was it you know it's it's an obvious one, this isn't it right? More and more people around us are I think becoming alive to the realization that things are not exactly as they seem, and that the elected representatives who who either represent them locally in local authorities, or the ones they send to the House of Commons. They're not really looking out for their best interests. And that was bad enough before 2020, wasn't it? I mean, we've known this for years, you and me, because we're not God, I nearly said we're not stupid. That would have been grossly, grotesquely unfair to people who haven't realised it, because we, at one time in our lives, we didn't know this either, so I don't want to say stupid. But we're, we're, we're awake to that, right? We know that they don't represent us. Um, and that was kind of OK before 2020, the fact that they don't represent us and they represent the City of London, the Crown Corporation. They swear a blood oath to the King of England and all of his heirs. And they do everything but represent the interests of their constituents. That was fine, because while while that was harmful, of course, to to the common good, to the good of the people it was relatively benign when compared to what happened in 2020 onwards. So in 2020 onwards, these people who basically um, got into the House of Commons on the pretense they were going to do the best for their local community and for their constituents, but weren't doing that, that was relatively okay. But what, what's happened since 2020? And the coercions, the lockdowns, the jabs, people are angry now. There's no doubt people are angry. And the angriest people, the people most likely to start screaming abuse at Jess Phillips and Mike Freer on the internet, I reckon, and I could be wrong, this is a theory only, are people who are relatively new to the things we talk about on this programme. And they are horrified by what's happened. Hence, the abuse will go up. Hence, this is problem, reaction, solution, writ large. They will use this, again, as a way... I don't know when this will happen, but it's going to happen pretty soon, is that you won't be able to get a social media account without a proper form of ID, that is birth certificate, driver's license. They will go... They will make you jump through every hoop imaginable, before they allow you to have a social media account, that I believe is where it's going. If you think I'm wrong, uh, by all means, tell me through the app or through RichieAllen.co.uk. I attract some beauties as listeners, you know. Every now and then, I want you, I want to read this. This this is interesting now, and and many of these people, these awful people, um, not there, there aren't many awful people, I don't think, listening to this, but some are, and um. Quite often, they claim to be or they profess to be people of faith, people who love God. Listen to this nonsense. Um, Richie, Lucifer, when he is placed in hell, is not in control. He will burn in hell like all who deny that Jesus Christ is Lord. That includes you. That's from Terry, telling me that I'll burn in hell because I'm an agnostic. Now, what's interesting about this is is the level of character, the type of person that would send somebody a message like that is a guy called Terry from Limerick, who on Sunday morning, during the Sunday Morning Melodies program, which has nothing to do with this program, he sent me a message asking, even though it's not a request program, would you kindly play a tune? Because it reminds me of my old dad, whose anniversary is today, and of course I did because I'm a nice guy. And that's what you get back in return. You're going to burn in hell because you deny that Jesus Christ is Lord. Something I haven't denied because I don't know whether Jesus is Lord or not because I'm agnostic. I haven't declared clue. So quite often, these religious types, really, are proper assholes, really, aren't they? When it all boils down to it. Telling people they're going to burn in hell. Like Terry from Limerick, who, of course, I won't be reading out any more of Terry's comments ever again. It's, adios to you, Terry. I'd say Sloan Tommel, but that would indicate that I might be speaking to you in the future. I won't be. You can go and fuck yourself now. Thank you. Hi to Dave, who says, Richie, words of consequences. Something politicians don't seem to understand, he says. Like if you call for war or you attack verbally any group, then you can understand why some politicians feel threatened. It's their own fault. If they were nice people, they wouldn't feel threatened from attacks, says Dave. But Dave, I'm not, you know, I'm not virtue signalling. I get what you're saying, of course. But I don't believe that however heinous the elected representatives are, however sellouts they might be, the the crimes they might be committing against people, threatening violence and inflicting violence on them, like setting fire to their premises and threatening to kill them, is absolutely bang out of order. And it is not the way to proceed. It really isn't. Adrian has said Richie, hello Adrian, people have said that eventually your digital ID will be required to sign into any online service, like Facebook, like Twitter, like banking even, even if you want to play your Xbox or your PlayStation. I think those people are correct, says Adrian, and that does make sense to me, Adrian, when you put it like that. The digital ID long called for by by William Haig and Tony Blair and the 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 World Economic Forum. Yes, it makes sense that if they eventually roll that out and they compel everybody to have a digital ID, it makes sense they could tie it in then with your access to your social media accounts. Of course, I won't miss it. I mean, eventually, when I'm locked out of when I when I'm locked out of social media, I won't miss it. I don't use it very much, partly because I'm busy, you know, sourcing material and producing this program. But I don't like it very much. Social media, Twitter, for example, is just one big massive echo chamber. And I'm amazed that people continue to labour under the misapprehension that they're challenging the establishment, that they're shaking up the status quo, shaking up the system by tweeting out stuff on Twitter all day long. I just don't understand why people think that doing that is in any way, you know... Is in any way offensive to the to the system? Peter says, "Richie, I'm unpoisoned, but I had bronchitis from Boxing Day until late last week. Extremely weird episodes of it going for a few days and then." Uh, returning with worse symptoms never felt ill per se but just a cough and awful spew to me says keely says richie i'm absolutely unjabbed and i've been fine however my brother and sister both had three shots and they've been pretty unwell with colds and the flu my brother messaged me asking me uh, for tips on healthy eating to support his immune system because he has been so unwell but well, that's good keely it might be he's seeing the light and maybe he won't have any more of these jabs. She says she is retraining to become a naturopathic nutritionist so she can help people as the agenda unfolds. And good on you for that. Paulie says, Richie... The senator grilling the Singaporean CEO of TikTok sounded like the questioning used during the McCarthy witch hunts in the 1950s. It kind of did, actually, Paul, yeah, when you listen back to it. Grace Ann says, I've not been jabbed, Richie, and I've been great these last two winters. No sickness, no flu, no cold. But those I know who have been jabbed have been sick with the respiratory illnesses more than twice. Thank you, Grace Ann. That would be my experience, too. Hello to Ann, who says, no jab, no illness. Uh, Myself, my daughter in her 30s, no jab, no illness. Her two children, one is 19, at uni, one 13, they're the same. My son too, no jab, not ill, none of us says Anne. Lovely, I like this. I, and I I don't want to tempt fate now, what am I, 49? 49, I, I generally do pick up something over the winter, even though I take the supplements. I have never smoked. I run daily. I'm as fit as a fiddle. But ordinarily, I do get something for a few days. Uh, what are we now? February 1st. And thanks, beat to Jeepers. I've not had anything yet. And hopefully that will continue through the rest of the winter. It never seems to be too bad if you get a cold in the spring. But uh, in the winter, it can be it can be a nightmare. Uh, the programme this week, Your Richie Allen Show, is brought to you by nutrahealth 365com with great thank yous to them. If you suffer from
5: joint pain or inflammation, you have probably heard of the benefits of turmeric. But did you know that the active ingredient is curcumin? nutrahealth 365s Joint Health Supplement is specially formulated to reduce the pain caused by joint inflammation, especially during the cold months. Joint Health contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin as well as a black pepper extract piperine to substantially increase its bioavailability and thereby reaching your inflamed area faster. If the cold weather is making your symptoms worse and you want relief, go to nutrahealth 365com and see how our Joint Health Supplement may help reduce inflammation and discomfort. That's nutrahealth 365com with free two-day tract delivery.
0: It is exactly 27 minutes past the hour. Thank you for all your messages, Ian, to Mick, also to Ardle, uh, Rob as well. Rob in Bethesda. Hello, Rob. Telling me you're unjabbed and you haven't been unwell this winter. That's bloody good news, I say. That is bloody good news. Thank you for all those messages. Keep them coming in. RichieAllen.co.uk. You can find the app for the programme, Google Play, Apple's App Store. Kevin Barrett joins me live in a moment from Morocco a little bit later on. We'll be speaking to a nurse who uh, posted a very interesting uh, viral TikTok video. It's your Richie Allen Show. There's none like it. Thank you so much for listening to it. Right, uh, 29 minutes it is to the top of the air. Deacon Blue, real gone kid. In three and a half months, I think it's been three and a half months since the Hamas attack in southern Israel. Which again, if you're new to the programme, um, don't jump in with two feet. I don't know what happened in southern Israel on October 27th. But when I say I don't know what happened, I don't know the timeline of it, how it actually went down, OK? But officially, and the generally accepted version of it is, is that Hamas militants um, breached the fence, the Israeli erected fence, of course, and killed around 1,200 Israeli citizens and IDF forces responding to it. That's the official version of it, right? There are many holes in it, of course, not least. We've talked often about the Times of Israel, which has done some bloody good work, questioning how it happened and, you know, was it allowed to happen and the lookouts who were threatened with court-martial if they didn't shut up about, you know, reporting activity on on the, the, the border or the fence line. Anyway, what's the point? Well, the point is, since then, 2 million Palestinians have been displaced in Gaza. 70,000 plus have been injured or wounded, right? Of the 70,000, 11,000, this is the United Nations now, are in a critical condition and they need immediate medical intervention. 27,500 people were killed, have been killed, and they reckon 11,500 of those are children. There's nearly 9,500 Palestinians in detention in Israel, and 60,000-plus tonnes of munitions have been dropped on Gaza. To discuss this and the wider implications of it and where it's going, let's welcome back to the programme a friend of mine. He's an academic researcher, author, and broadcaster. These days he's living in Morocco. It's uh, Welcome back to our friend Kevin Barrett. Hello, Kevin. Welcome back.
6: Hey, hello, Richie. Always great to be back with you. Pleasure, mate. How terrible the world is.
0: It is. First time this year. We'll speak many times, hopefully, this year Those are stark figures. When October the 27th happened, did you in your wildest imagination imagine we'd be reading numbers such as those out on radio shows like this? Did you see that level of carnage coming?
6: No, I didn't, because I I didn't think that the US administration would allow it. I'm actually still uh, somewhat uh, amazed and and not in a good way at the fact that this democratic administration – that is supposed to have a slightly different outlook on uh, occupied Palestine than the Trump administration did. The Trump administration was completely under the control of Netanyahu and his extremist, lunatic fringe. And the Democrats are supposed to be the other party, and they're supposed to include the foreign policy realists, moderates, and so on. So I really had no clue that the U.S. administration would allow Israel to go this far in committing genocide. It's just shocking. But, you know, Israel is digging its own grave, and it's so shocking that the American administration is allowing Israel to do that, because, again, Biden's administration is basically a, a minion. That is, uh, you know, the Jewish Daily Forward said enough Jews to make a minion. That is, the U.S. administration is is just totally uh, <laughs> filled with Jews. And they're all pro-Israel Jews, but they're liberal, moderate pro-Israel Jews. They're the last people you would expect to be telling Biden to go ahead and allow Bibi Netanyahu and his settler uh, lunatics to commit this kind of genocide and dig Israel's grave. So yeah, I am surprised.
0: There are so many hardline Zionists, it seems, in the administration, not just there. And yet we know, and this is not me doing my mainstream media thing, it's just worth mentioning. I mean, here in Salford, Manchester, when we see the protests here, the really deeply felt, heartfelt protests, um, there are uh, Tens, there, there are dozens, dozens and dozens, if if not hundreds, of Jewish people who say as loud as they possibly can, "Not, not in our name." What what does that mean to you? Because I I never mentioned this because it's not relevant. You you converted to Islam. You're a Muslim. What does it mean to you? Knowing does it mean anything that so many Jewish people completely co- condemn and abhor this and say, "Not in our name." And yet they never get a chance when talk t v shows here in the u k and radio shows want to discuss it as far as people are concerned, you know Jewish people are all for this, but they're not kevin not 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 the Jewish people I know,
6: not the Jewish people I know either. I have a probably a disproportionate share of Jewish radio guests, you know people who are always concerned about issues related to Jewish power often harp on the disproportionate presence of Jews in this or that sector, with, of course, the media being the number one focus. But, hey, my radio show is part of the media, and I'm pretty sure that I have more than 2% of my guests uh, have some kind of Jewish background. And I suppose that's just because I look for the most interesting people who have something worthwhile to say that's outside the box. And there are probably, yeah, it's just going to be a little bit disproportionately People of Jewish background, and that's cool with me, and the vast majority of those people are pretty much, you know, as horrified as I am, if not more so. I think this does illustrate, Richie, the way that Jewish tribal power has always had a kind of an, you know, an inner layer and then this outer layer that kind of bleeds off into the surrounding communities, and the inner layer is fanatically tribal— and utterly brainwashed. You know, that's that's our, our Uncle Mortimer, who you know, reads the New York Times every morning, and the only thing he cares about is, is it good for the Jews? And then there's somebody else in the family that is a much more critical thinker and much more open-minded and probably is going to go off and, and marry a non-Jewish person. And in another couple of generations, their descendants may not even count themselves as Jewish anymore, but the descendants of Mortimer certainly will. And so you've had this uh, tribal power configuration passed down through the centuries, And today, let's face the fact, Richie, that yes, of all, you know, if we poll Jewish people in the West, we're going to find uh, a very large number that are against this genocide, not so in Israel, of course. Um, But at the same time, the powerful uh, part of of the Jewish tribe, let's say Jewish tribal power, is pro-genocide. That is, the Biden administration, as liberal and democratic as it's supposed to be, is pro-genocide. Uh, they have power. And then the other side, the Republican uh, Jews and the people who are getting vast amounts of Jewish money, which is the entire American government, uh, those people are are even more uh, rabidly pro-genocide. So the Jews with power are largely pro-genocide, and the Jews without power are largely anti-genocide. And we have to face that fact and talk about it.
0: Kevin, are we naive um, in expecting or hoping that the government in D.C. would do anything at all to rein in Israel. I mean, I, you and I, have, we, we've not battled on this, we've not bunted heads, but I've said to you before over the years that when I look at the crimes of nations, I'm happy to talk all day about the genocide. I'm happy to talk all day about the Nakba. you know, 75 years of brutality and torture and confinement and, you know, humiliation of the of the people of Palestine all day long and how wrong it is. I'm about the only you know, radio presenter in th- this part of the world who-, who will regularly state his belief that Israel doesn't have a right to exist and shouldn't exist, even if it does. But aren't we naive? Haven't our governments, the British, I say our because I live in the UK, the British government, the United States government, whether or not a Democrat or a Republican has sat in the Oval Office. Look at the crimes they've committed, Kevin. They make Israel look like a choir boy even in the last 30, 35 years. So it's kind of preposterous. Not for, I'm not calling you preposterous, but I think it's generally preposterous to hold out any hope that Western governments will do anything to stop what's happening in Gaza because we're contributing to a genocide in Yemen. We'll talk about that in a minute. And this Houthi story that's running through the media here and the Iran-backed Houthis, we'll talk about that. But um, our devils are worse than their devils, Kevin. What do you say to that?
6: Well, uh, I don't think anybody, uh, including the Western leaders, makes the current Zionist leadership look like choir boys. That's for sure. Uh, I, I would put it the other way around. In fact, I've had this discussion with Iranian colleagues. I've, I was visiting around every year, pretty much from, what, 2013 through 2019, I think it was. And they have that famous slogan, you know, death to America, death to Israel, and so on, and they have talked about America being the, the great uh, Satan or demon, and Israel being the little Satan or demon. And I argue that sometimes it looks the other way around to me. Uh, and in, in terms of, yes, American imperial policy has been brutal and ruthless all over the world since World War II, killing around 60 million people, according to Andrei Volcek and Noam Chomsky yeah. in their book on Western Terrorism. Uh, and a lot of that hasn't been related to Israel. However, the mass killing in the Middle East and in the region where Israel is has been largely the result of uh, that Zionist invasion, occupation and ethnic cleansing of Palestine. In fact, it's I don't you know, what would have happened had there been no Israel? Is debatable but every single advisor to President Truman begged him not to allow the creation of Israel saying that this would be it would just be an unending bloodbath for the world and an unending curse on the United States and it has been Uh, so when we throw in the deaths caused by the existence of Israel which is basically the majority of the deaths in that region uh, including the up to 30 million uh, well maybe 25 million uh, that Gidjan Palia says uh, were killed in the 9-11 wars I think uh, Israel is hitting way, way above its weight in uh, in being evil. Uh, and so, therefore, on kind of a, a sized basis, if we adjust for the fact Israel is only 15 million people, Israel is vastly, vastly more evil relative to its size than any of the Western nations. Yeah, and it's
0: funded by Britain. It's funded by the United States. It's funded by Iran. But the United States and Britain are funding the genocide of Yemeni people as well. And there are about 500 little proxy wars going on around Africa and in the Far East, as you well know, and they're being funded and supplied and given oxygen by the military-industrial complexes of our countries. As well, this is not, you know, a kind of what if or but. Like it, it just it just has to be said. I see no good guys anywhere. I'd like to talk about the Houthis, right? Um. And listen, I'm an Irish guy, and I don't know whether it ends up in your DNA. I don't know. But my forefathers and foremothers, they fought for centuries against invaders from all over the bloody world, right? Um, and I don't know if it's in their DNA. So my sympathy, my feelings have always been for the people of Gaza and for the people of Palestine and always will be. What Israel is doing is ab- is an abomination. You know, it's anti-life, it's anti-human, it's anti-everything, it's disgraceful. But um, I still say that our um, intelligence agencies, the deep states of our countries, have done... As bad and are continuing to do as bad and will continue to do as bad, are they trying to drive a us to the brink, or are they trying to actually create a genuine global conflict? Kevin I'll ask you this because I am reading and hearing the same sort of reading the same articles, listening to the same TV shows as that I was listening to back in two thousand and two when they were telling lies about Saddam Hussein. Now they're telling us that Iran is the greatest threat to peace and security on planet Earth. It's um, they're, 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 they're Without any challenge whatsoever, these military experts are going on British news programmes with no challenge from the nodding dog presenters. They're saying that if there's evil anywhere, Iran is supporting it. Iran is supporting Hamas. Iran is supporting the Iraqi revolutionaries. Apparently this is new to me. And Iran is sponsoring, training and funding the Houthis, who are causing chaos now in the Red Sea and interfering with global shipping routes and causing the prices of our groceries to spike even further. Iran, 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 Iran. Should we be really worried about this level of propaganda, where it's going?
6: Well, I don't think this propaganda has as willing an audience. Nobody really is believing it the way that they were believing that same kind of propaganda in 2003. And of course, a lot of people didn't believe it even back then, but it's uh, it's a different time now. Uh, There was an article in Time Magazine that came out yesterday uh, by one of these uh, professional foreign policy types who pointed out that Biden is in a political pickle because of being way too pro-war and specifically pro-war in the Middle East. Uh, the polls are showing 80 percent of Americans uh, are worried about getting sucked into a Middle East war, uh, that um, the vast majority uh, totally reject and are disgusted by the so-called 9-11 wars, uh, culminating in the ignom- ignominious withdrawal from Afghanistan. And that right now the uh, the, the public opinion is, is all running anti-war. Uh, Biden has problems both. With uh, the Republicans who are against the war on Russia through Ukraine, and his within his own party, uh, the people who are predominantly against uh, these Middle Eastern wars for Israel. So politically, I don't think it's going to fly. I think the same propaganda organs, which are run uh, largely by neocons, and neocons are extreme uh, imperialists, U.S. imperialists who are partly motivated by their belief that a very rabid, vicious, uh, and powerful American empire is Israel's best protection, uh, those people are still propagandizing, but the public isn't listening anymore. So I don't think that they have any confidence that they could pull off a big war and get the public behind them.
0: I'm a man of peace myself, Kevin, as you know. I don't believe in violence as a means of resolving conflicts, but... I, I reserve a special little tiny corner of my heart for Lindsey Graham. God, that man is a ghoul, isn't he, Kevin?
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been mean, without even getting into the rumors about stuff that he does that makes Jeffrey Epstein's clients look tame, uh and 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 less hypocritical, I suppose, even. Um, that guy is just totally bought and paid for by all of the most evil people in America, whether it's the military industrial complex, the um, the Israel lobby, or whoever. Uh, yeah, he's he's going to have a lot to answer for when he goes to meet his maker.
0: Speaking of the Israel lobby, I, I've been fascinated for many years. You remember Peter O'Byrne, who used to write for The Telegraph. You, you probably saw the documentary about 20 years ago. He made a wonderful documentary for Dispatches for Channel 4 called the Israeli lobby and it was only played once or twice it was never shown the light of day again unsurprisingly and it was a documentary that delved into just how powerful the Israeli lobby is particularly in the UK he dealt with the UK specifically and I'm wondering, I'm always looking for the journalistic angle. By the way, Kevin Barrett can be found at truthjihad.com, but, 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 he has a Substack, kevinbarrett.substack.com. Do subscribe to him. Open your mind. You'll get a lot of opinions. You'll hear things that maybe you won't hear on this programme. Challenging information. That'll make you think again. kevinbarrett.substack.com. Kev, I'm always looking for the journalistic angle. Do you think a lot of the Israeli um, lobby? Do you think it's successful on on some level? Partly because we kind of grew up in, in high school and university so we learned about genocides, many genocides, but we learned a lot about um, World War Two. Do you think a lot of those who sign up to the Israeli lobby, and I'm talking about politicians, they do so primarily motivated by some sense of decency because, you know, they've you know, they, they, they know their history, they've 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 learned about it. They've maybe travelled over there to Poland to Germany, and maybe they they're motivated by this more than anything else. You know this idea that you know Jews have been um, chased out of countries in 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 uh, through history that Jews have been persecuted and that yeah you know Israel is the home place for Jews and therefore it's the right thing to do to sign up to the Jewish lobby. Um, I've gone around the gardens there asking that question. I couldn't phrase it the way I wanted to phrase it. But a lot of the pro-Israeli politicians maybe feel that they're motivated by some sense of good, do you think, and they really don't know?
6: Well, that's that's an interesting question, Rishi. I think that ultimately a lot of people uh, are not deep thinkers, and that goes double for politicians. So they probably aren't even really capable of formulating a thought if that thought would get in the way of their chances of re-election, which depends on their uh, chances of raising huge sums of money. And somewhere in the neighborhood of close to half of all the money that goes into American political races comes from Zionist Jewish sources with earmarks.
0: But not and here, that- though, Kev. So- sorry to interrupt you, but not in the UK, which is fascinating. Like that money. Now, you're, you're probably going to argue with me and say, Richie, proxy companies and... You know, if you were a hardline Zionist in Tel Aviv, you could fund a British candidate through, as I said, subsidiary company, companies or proxy companies. But Oborn at the time looked, looked into this. Th- there isn't that much Israeli money going to candidates for their campaigns. Not in this, I know the opposite is true in America. Do you find that curious?
6: Well, I, I think that the key factor is the domination of the media, by Zionist Jews. I mean, let's face it, and that's, that's not an anti-Semitic canard, that's just the facts. Uh, Philip Weiss, uh, a former New York Times journalist, wrote a terrific article about this. He's Jewish himself and he founded the wonderful Mondo Weiss website. And his article is called, uh, do, uh, do Jews Dominate in Media and So What If We Do? And I he remember. points out that, yes, we do. And then what's the so what? Well, the so what means that ultimately, the vast majority of the Jews who dominate the media feel that they are the last line of defense against Israel being pushed into the sea. And so they skew all their coverage of anything related to Israel in the favor of pro-Israeli propaganda. So I think that the fact that the media is owned by Zionist Jews, operated by Zionist Jews, dominated by Zionist Jews at all the important levels in the UK, as well as the U.S. and across the West. Is by far the single biggest factor in creating this public myth, as Philip Zelikow, the 9/11 Commission uh, mythologist, uh, calls them. Public myth being some uh, mythical tale about history that it, you know people just believe, whether or not it happens to be true, and it motivates them emotionally to see things in a certain way. And yes, the public myth of World War II with the the, the Holocaust and the other uh, lies about how we are the good guys and they were the bad guys, 100% good on one side, 100% bad on the other side. Those are ridiculous propaganda lies that were, like the gas chambers, probably, I'm not 100% sure of that, but I'm about 70% sure, that were invented as World War II propaganda, and that when the war ended, we never stopped, uh, we never laid off the propaganda. As you know, Ron Unz has written articles showing that in the 1950s, many people did lay off the propaganda, and in fact, basically, nobody of substance in the United States even believed that there had been a Holocaust or had been any gas chambers. And Eisenhower, uh, Churchill, and de Gaulle wrote huge memoirs totaling more than 10,000 pages, and never once... Uh, mentioned the Holocaust in their World War II memoirs. So basically, World War II propaganda of every type has continued after World War II, and it's been used by the West to create this image that we are the good guys, and everything we do, everybody we kill, every, every, everybody we fight, every genocide we commit— is, is justified because we're continuing to be the good guys that we were during World War II. So yeah, World War II propaganda that never died and lies about World War II that have not been fully debunked yet in the public uh, imagination are largely responsible for the fact that people can live with themselves when they pursue these hideous and genocidal policies, killing tens of millions of people. The U.S. empire has probably killed close to 100 million people since World War II, all the while thinking that it was the good guy. And it's absolutely imperative that we completely debunk this and debunk all of these lies about World War II.
0: Listen, you you, you won't, when it comes to open debate and um, uncensored and unfiltered discussion, there's no greater supporter of that than me. I have no problem with it. I've interviewed Holocaust deniers over the years. When I say that I'm not labelling you as anything, I'm not. Um, You've been on with me for years and you'll continue to come on with me when, um, hopefully when I ask you in the future. I believe in the right of people to believe and think whatever they like, 100%. And I understand when debates are shut down and people are labelled and people are called names and I understand why people are suspicious. Look, there are a million things. I'm a third-level history graduate. There are a million things that you can prove about what went on in the Second World War that people don't know about and that, I suppose, people who run governments in 2024 would rather never saw the light of day. We could talk all day long about who supported Hitler in the 1930s, the companies, the petrochemical companies around the world who supported him, The those who wanted to dominate and control Europe, um, who wanted the Nazis to succeed so that they could later on control Hitler. These were the founding fathers, really, of the European Union. We, we completely t- differ um, when it comes to what happened in Nazi Germany because I've been there and I believe... And I will believe to my dying day that there was an attempt to exterminate the Jewish um, population in Germany and in Poland and elsewhere. That's my take on it. Um, How they tried to do that and how they did it, I don't know. But they did, in my opinion, try to do it. But I'm with you. Nothing should be taboo. People should be allowed to speak about anything and should be allowed to question anything without being... um, I mean, in some countries, you can go to prison for it, as far as I know. I think in Germany, if you question... Um, certain aspects of what happened in the Second World War. Am I right in saying that, Kevin? You can go to prison? Yeah. In well, Switzerland? yeah, I,
6: I know somebody who's currently in prison uh, for questioning the Holocaust. That would be Alfred Schaefer. And his sister, Monica Schaefer, is a friend of mine. And she also spent time in prison the in lady, Germany, even yeah. though she's a Canadian, not a German, for questioning the story of the Holocaust. Why would that story need that kind of protection if it were true? I mean, that's, that in itself is just such a huge red flag.
0: Yeah, it's funny you say that because friends of mine and people I've met over the years through the media, they that that's that's a point they make c- consistently is they say, well, if there isn't something wrong with the story, why would they, you know, why would they work so hard to silence or to punish anybody who questions it? And look, it's a fair enough question, but as I said, my take on it is, and look, you've known me for years, you you know the level of persecution this radio show has had. I mean, five years ago. I mean, the lengths they went to get me off air, all because I said I was tired of hearing about the Holocaust. Imagine that. You could say something truthful. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of watching Netflix films about the Holocaust. Like, we know, we know. And they came after me for that. Um, Well, everybody's
6: tired of it, Richie. If they let you say it, everybody will will start saying it themselves.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I was asked by an independent, well, sorry, a journalist for the independent, trying to set me up. um, But I don't care. I'll always speak the truth. At least as I understand it. And I said, um, so what do you think of the Holocaust, Richie? Because I'd interviewed two very well-known Holocaust deniers, even though I didn't agree with them, and I don't agree with them. And I made it clear during the interview that I don't agree with them. But, but you're not even supposed to speak to people, Kevin. I mean, even if I disagree with you, we're two you know, intellectual adults. I like you. Whatever your opinions about anything are, I don't care because I like you. I like listening to you. You're an academic. Um, but I'm not supposed to speak to you, Kevin. Even if I disagree with you, that's I'm, I'm not supposed to speak to you. I'm supposed to contribute to the ban. That's how it's supposed to be, you see. So they came after me, not because I agreed with my guest. Um, that was irrelevant. They came after me simply for interviewing him. So they said to me, so what do you think of the Holocaust then? And of course I gave them the answer they wanted, which is the truth. I'm sick to death of hearing about it. Let's talk about Vietnam for a change. Let's talk about Chechnya. Let's talk about, I don't know, Russia during the 30s and 40s. And the millions of people killed there, but um, yeah, it is. It remains of interest to me that, you know, they could try to destroy somebody just because they say, you know, what? I don't believe that aspect of history. I challenge it. That is, well, you know, that way, Kevin, lies tyranny, right? Or object tyranny, if you can't. Speak. Indeed,
6: and, and it really suggests that that how important that issue is to them that they will just ruin careers and send people to prison for. Um, beliefs about history that don't fit the public myth that is used to motivate people to go out and, and commit mass murder. I <laughs> mean, uh, you know, I, I really do recommend that people look in, into those issues. You know, regardless of what you think about the Holocaust per se, there are a lot of things that you didn't know about that era. You know, the fact that the founding fathers of the state of Israel were virtually uniformly pro-Nazi and worked very closely uh, with the Nazis during 1930. In fact, the Proto-Israelis or the Zionists of the 1930s were the very best friends of the Nazi party in Germany. And indeed, there wouldn't be any Israel today if the Germans hadn't spent lots of money and uh, uh, given the Zionists lots of help in establishing more and more Jewish settlements in what would later become Israel.
0: Yeah, hang on now, hang on. It's a stretch to say they were the very best friends. What, what, what You're talking about the Havre agreement, right? So what it was, was Zionists wanted to get, sorry, the Nazis just wanted to get Jews out of Germany that's That's what the Havre agreement was all about, so it was the agreement to transfer um, the belongings and the money of Jewish people to Palestine right that's what it, they, they minted a coin didn't they uh, to commemorate this? But I think it might be a stretch to suggest that these Zionist Jews were in any way the best friends of the Nazis. I think the Nazis just wanted rid of them
6: no it, it, actually the relationship went pretty far beyond that, and uh even during World War two, um, there were a couple of militias. In, uh, in then you know uh, Palestine Zionist militias that would later become the Israeli Defense Forces, and and one of them actually volunteered to fight on behalf of Nazi Germany against its enemies. This is in the smack dab in the middle of World War II, uh, around the same time that the supposed Holocaust was allegedly beginning in the summer of 1942.
0: What did they make the final question? Um, it, it's very rare it comes up on this show. You know the whole idea of. Holocaust denial and what what did and didn't happen in Nazi Germany what's the this is a very, you can't really answer this question but you've travelled more in the Middle East than I have when, because you've travelled in Iran extensively, obviously you're in Morocco now, what do you think Muslims generally think about when they think back to the Second World War, the First World War, what's the general train of thought about it do you think, if you could even begin to quantify it
6: Well, from most of the Muslim countries were colonized uh, by Europe um, and suffered under that colonialism. And in some cases, some benefited as well. I suppose some people did. Uh, But overall, the uh, development of most of the Muslim countries was really not enhanced by European colonialism, to say the least. And then, of course, the the culture, the local culture was subjected to all kinds of uh, attacks, um, in neighboring Algeria, which is just a few few kilometers away from where I am right now, uh, they really uh, suffered something getting close to cultural genocide because the French were calling Algeria a part of uh, the hexagon, which right. is part of France like the rest of France. And they labeled the Muslims as second class citizens, sort of like the Israelis are doing now with non-Jews put it on their identification documents, and then those people got less resources and were basically you know, kept in poverty and squalor as uh, de facto near slaves of the colonizers. So it, from the Muslim world's point of view, these world wars were really just cases of these pretty nasty colonizing countries that had mistreated the Muslims suddenly committing mass murder against each other. And there was no particular reason to favor one side over the other, and frankly, I think from a, a, a neutral perspective, if you if you study World War II very carefully, you know, imagine you're a space alien or something and you don't really have a dog in the fight, you'll come to that same uh, perspective. That is that both sides in World War II were absolutely hideous. Both sides committed massive atrocities. And again, this black versus white, good versus evil public myth that we've gotten in the West about World War II is complete nonsense.
0: I agree with this, you know, this characterization of, um, we're the good guys. We did the liberating. You're right, Kevin. It's it's why I said, I mean, look, when you do history, not every history graduate, of course, will take the time to really delve into the the periods they're studying and try to canvas the widest um, possible body of opinion. Most of them don't. They stay with the textbooks that are recommended by the universities. But some of us didn't do that. Some of us went way beyond that. So look, I, I know I, 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 what you're saying is absolutely right. The so-called allies did the, the most unspeakable things during that period, uh, things that were as ugly and as awful and as atrocious as what the Nazis did. You're absolutely right to say that. Um, Kevin, I'll give you the final word, 30 seconds, um, before we power company today. Thanks for coming back on kevinbarrett.substack.com. So you're telling me that for, for those of our listeners who are concerned, who are worried, you know, they might have a youngster, maybe, in the army. In fact, I know one or two people whose um, young sons have gone into the army for a career for themselves, that maybe we shouldn't be too concerned about an all-out global conflict, at least not in the short term. You wouldn't think so?
6: Well, uh, things that can sometimes spin out of control. Uh, I think there, there's a conspiracy theory that World War One was all planned out. I don't think so. I think that, yeah, there were contingency plans, and different forces had their their uh, views of what they could do with a war. But ultimately, things kind of spun out. you just spun out of control, and a lot of people that didn't want the war got dragged into it. And that could happen now. And there's really a setup for it. Uh, and we're we're really at the precipice of uh, of a huge shift. In global power, and at such a moment, world wars become increasingly likely. So it is something we should be concerned about, and we should be pushing back against, and doing everything we can to try to support peace.
0: Kevin, thanks for coming back today. Um, very quickly, how long has it been now? Six, eight months, ten months? You've been in Morocco. How's life?
6: Well, it's pretty nice, Richie. Uh, right before I got on the show today, I uh, I ran a couple of miles up and down the beach and swam in the Mediterranean. And I certainly wouldn't be uh, running uh, in a swimsuit and swimming uh, next to the lake I lived on in Wisconsin.
0: No, you wouldn't be, no. Uh, Do give um, our best and fondest regards to uh, the lovely Rabia, by the way. I know she listens every now and then when she gets a chance um, to this show. So give her our best. And thanks again, Kevin. Speak to you uh, pretty soon.
6: Okay, looking forward to it, Richie. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Kevin. Kevin Barrett, com. You'll find Kevin at kevinbarrett.substack.com. Kevin is an academic a writer, a broadcaster, and uh, I'm very fond of him. I got to know him not long after he was on national television in America when they tried to castigate him and berate him and embarrass him because he was asking questions about September the 11th. And uh, that's when I came across Kevin all of those years ago. A lot of comments about Holocaust denial. Thank you for them. They seem to be, you seem to be of the same mind that it is outrageous to, 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 to jail somebody or to ban them because they don't believe something. Whatever that thing might be, they don't believe. And for those who are accused, because I I do get accused, and I don't mind, because I'm not a martyr, and it's not about me. I'm not a truther. I'm not a member, not a paid-up member of the truther industrial complex. It's not about me. I don't complain about being attacked. You can attack me if you want. Right? I do believe that Jews were genocided in the Second World War. I believe it. Um, I I believe I've seen the evidence of it. And um, I'm not saying that because I'm scared of anybody. It's because what I believe to be true. But I have interviewed over the years several people who do not believe it. And I've listened to them and I've argued with them. And I've said to them, but look, we've got the witness testimony of the, you you know, of of, of many, of quite a, a huge number of people who worked as guards in concentration camps, we have the admission of these atrocities by those who were tried at Nuremberg. We have all of this stuff. We have all the physical evidence. So, um, I believe it happened. I know it happened. And, uh, but I, I find it. Well, I find it ridiculous that somebody could be, as I've already said, to, at the risk of repeating myself, that they could end up in prison. It's not the case in the UK. There are no laws against Holocaust denial here in the UK. Thank God, if God exists. Thank God nobody should be imprisoned, let alone arrested, because they say they don't believe something. Because you know where that ends? It ends with the state saying, well, this is the official version of anything, and he or she who deviates from that is subject to, is liable to prosecution." And eventually that trickles down to where you don't believe the bloke in a dress is really a bloke, sorry, is really a woman and you stay as much and you end up in the dock for that. And we know in this country, people have had their doors, uh, they've had visits, haven't they? They've had visits from the old bill because on Twitter or on Facebook, they've said to somebody, well actually, you're just a bloke in a dress, you're not really a woman. So that's why I would be vehemently opposed to the ...to the prosecution of somebody who disagrees with... ...or questions any aspect of history. Question it by all means. I won't fall out with you. I don't think any less of you. But please afford me the same courtesy. Or extend to me the same courtesy. Okay? Because I don't believe what Kevin believes. But I will never stop speaking with him... ...and chatting with him. Because to do so... ...to to be to be nervous or to be scared... Well, ...I shouldn't bring guys like him on the programme... ...because it might get me into trouble... If people like me start doing that, we're finished. And that's the truth of it, right? It's seven and a half minutes past the hour.
5: If you suffer from joint pain or inflammation, you have probably heard of the benefits of turmeric. But did you know that the active ingredient is curcumin? NutraHealth 365's Joint Health Supplement is specially formulated to reduce the pain caused by joint inflammation, especially during the cold months. Joint Health contains a substantial amount of the active ingredient curcumin, as well as a black pepper extract piperine to substantially increase its bioavailability and thereby reaching your inflamed area faster. If the cold weather is making your symptoms worse and you want relief, Go to nutrahealth365.com and see how our joint health supplement may help reduce inflammation and discomfort. That's nutrahealth365.com with free 2-day track delivery.
1: Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk.
0: Welcome back. Thank you, James Power. James says, Richie, I hold a unique perspective. I believe the Holocaust was flat, says James. I see what you did there, James. Very good. Very good indeed. Uh, cub says, I believe it... But the numbers are, I don't believe the numbers, he says. And I don't agree with the reparations still ongoing. That's from ByCub. Thank you ByCub. Nelly says, I read a book called The Choice by Isit Egar, a Hungarian Jew, about her experiences in concentration camps, including Auschwitz. Utterly, utterly horrific. It happened, says Nelly. I interviewed a couple of Holocaust survivors over the years. Um, during my time on radio in Spain, I met a lovely old lady. Uh, Who since passed away. And she talked to me at great length one evening on Talk Radio Europe about her experience. And this is me coming down with some sort of early-onset dementia because I should remember exactly where she was held. It wasn't Auschwitz. It wasn't Treblinka. It may have been Sobibor. It could have been Dachau. But she talked to me about it. We sat there for a couple of hours and the woman was telling me the truth. She wasn't making it up, you know. And uh, yeah, and I visited both Dachau and Auschwitz in the past myself and spoke. I, I, I do mention this a lot, but it's worth mentioning. I spoke to a very elderly German man who grew up outside of Dachau. We talked at length through an interpreter. My friend spoke fluent German. We talked about, you know, he talked about the great shame in the town. Um, young men were greatly ashamed later on. And I said, why was it when you found out? what had gone on in Dachau, the experiments that were done there. And he said, no, not that we found out. He said, we knew, we knew what was going on in there. And we didn't do anything about it. Which, which is not something I believe anybody should be damned to eternity for. Because fear is an incredibly powerful thing. Like a lot of people would have lived around or even worked in some of these places delivering things there. Newspapers, provisions, whatnot. And might have suspected what was going on there but probably knew that to say anything about it meant death. Now, I'm not saying that's what I would do, but I, I tend to try to understand, you know, walk a mile in somebody's shoes before you judge them is how I kind of tend to live my life, you know. Anyway, we're going to speak to a very interesting lady next. She is Poppy, and uh, she is known as the Mindful Nurse. And we're going to talk about excess deaths here in the UK uh, the time is 11 minutes past the hour of five. The Richie Allen Show for Thursday. It's cool
5: December day, we touch the ground
0: at right, then we don't ordinarily cut short the music as quickly as that. You two, Angel of Harlem on The Richie Allen Show. 12 minutes past five. I'm looking forward to speaking with our guest. I mentioned at the beginning of the programme, I was sent a copy of a TikTok video to my Twitter account today. And it was a video of our guest. She's a nurse. She is a registered nurse. She has been uh, for over nine years. Uh, Important that you know this. She's um, very much involved in holistic nursing these days. And we'll talk about that uh, with her and what that entails. But she took to her TikTok account because she had seen uh, footage of... The meeting that was chaired by Andrew Bridgen, the independent uh, MP these days, where he chaired a meeting at Westminster about excess death figures here in the UK, the alarming rise in excess deaths in the country. And uh, she took to TikTok to speak about this. Let's welcome her to the programme. You will find her online online at mindfulnurse.co.uk, uk. Let's welcome Poppy to the programme. Poppy, it's lovely to chat with you. How are you?
1: Hi, Richie. It's great to connect with you. Yeah, I'm doing really well. It's an absolute pleasure to be on the show and to talk about a topic that really deserves some recognition and some discussion.
0: It sure does. And listen, thanks for doing it now, Short Notice. I know you had a, a, an arm's long, you had a, a list as long as your arm of clients and people to see today, but you broke off to talk about it, which I'm very grateful for, because it's very topical. So you saw Andrew Bridgen then, who's come in for an enormous amount of stick. Of course, he was basically kicked out of the Conservative Party because before Christmas he was asking questions about the safety of the vaccines and now he's looking into excess death numbers. You've been a nurse for nine years. You've worked in critical care. You've done it all. Um, is he right to be concerned about excess death numbers in the UK? What are you seeing and what are you hearing through your own practice and your own work?
1: Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Great question. I mean, I think he has every right to be concerned. You know, we've got an alarming amount of excess deaths, which demands some discussion and at least some attention. Over the last two years, the health of our country has drastically declined and it's in all areas, you know, obesity, it's an all time high, mental health is at an all time high. We've got cancer, which is now one in two. So, you know, I'm really just trying to raise awareness of the state of the health of this country. And I think that Parliament discussion was really important. You know, they were real statistics being presented. They had top cardiologists um, presenting their theories. And, you know, my, my video on TikTok was really just to say, you know, why aren't we talking about this?
0: And is that something now that you did lightly? Because as, you know, as a registered nurse, as somebody who... Um, and this is the Nursing Mid- Midwifery Council. So we're talking, we're talking to a proper nurse here now. Is that something you have to be careful about? Do you have to think about that, you know, raising your voice? Are there possibly um, consequences for that? Or is it something that nurses and doctors are openly speaking about?
1: no absolutely not there's as andrew bridgen said in that discussion there's a deafening silence amongst the nhs there's no one's talking about it you know we're we're observing the things that are happening but there's there's no real discussion and of course I have a pin number, I have to be very, very careful about what I say, but I can report what I'm seeing with my own eyes. And what I'm seeing is absolutely heartbreaking. You know, people are sick, and people are dying. And I didn't want my video to scare people. But actually, the videos where I'm raising awareness on the health of people in this country, they're going viral, because people want to know what's happening, and they're not getting it from the media. They're not seeing it anywhere else. So... It's really important that we come together as a community and start talking about what we're seeing and what we can do to try and improve the health.
0: And by excess deaths, just for listeners who maybe don't understand what it means, it means we we count the amounts of deaths that would be unexpected um, every year. Um, You know, the the amount of deaths that would be above the norm that we would expect for any year. And they sometimes kind of flesh it out to, to a five year period. And what fascinated me about your video, Poppy, was was that you you see and you have seen that we're not talking about excess death deaths in terms of like we're talking about OAPs and very senior people. We're seeing a rise in the amount of deaths amongst younger people, aren't we? People aged um, 18... Uh, to 45 or 20 to 50 it's that kind of age bracket kind of middle-aged or younger people that we shouldn't be seeing a, you know an unexplained rise in death numbers it's that age group that concerns you
1: yeah absolutely so what was discussed in parliament was that it's the 50 to 65 year old age group that we're seeing this excess deaths in and those are the cardiovascular excess deaths so those are cardiac arrests those are multiple blood clots in the lungs those are strokes and that is specifically in that age group fifty to sixty five year old so I would say that's the middle age group
0: now some when when some uh newspaper writers and some broadcasters when they attempt to explain it, which isn't often because you're right poppy it's it's a bit of a taboo subject as as Bridget himself has said. but when you do get an attempted explanation, they say, "Well, look, we shut down the health service during twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one to treat COVID almost exclusively. Because of this, we didn't give people the scans and the screenings they should have had. And maybe that explains some of these excess deaths. When you hear that, is there some truth to that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there is certainly some truth to that, especially in things like cancers that didn't get diagnosed early enough. But actually, a lot of these presentations that we're seeing, they're very acute situations. So things like cardiac arrest, which is heart attack, things like blood, uh, blood clots on the lungs, those are very acute emergency situations. So that doesn't link up with the fact that people missed appointments back in 2020.
0: That's a very good point, isn't it? It's a lot of these Cardiac events and blood clots. Um, I, I don't know about yourself. I'm I'm, I'm guessing. I mean, I, I'm on the website, so you'll find Poppy at mm-hmm. m- mindfulnurse.co.uk. Do check it out, dear listener. Check Poppy out, mindfulnurse.co.uk. We'll put a link to the website on the podcast notes after the live radio show has ended. Good to chat with you, Poppy. She's a holistic nurse practitioner in Devon. Um you look pretty fit to me. That's a terrible thing to say to a lady on a radio show. When I say fit, you mean you, you look physically fit. You look, I'll get into trouble. Physically fit, you look You look healthy. I suppose you have to. You can't be advising people on how to be healthy if you're not healthy yourself. So the reason I mention that, your fitness, is I'm guessing you're into sports. Um, I attend sports regularly, rugby, league. Uh, I go and watch Manchester United. Don't say a word, Poppy. Uh, I also go and watch other sports. Um, snooker even, I go and see the snooker. People are being carried out of the crowds, it's not just young men and women who are participating and are on the field. Um, sport is regularly being stopped to cater to or help somebody in the audience or in the crowd. i tell you what, Poppy, I've never seen that before. It's happening all no, the time. No, I don't
1: think, you know, we've never seen anything like it. And it's not just sportsmen. It's, you know, it's radio, it's, uh, sorry, it's uh, TV presenters. It's It's across the board. And... You know, so there was an argument in Parliament that actually maybe the the, um, excess deaths in this country could be because we already have quite an unhealthy population, because they compared statistics to Sweden, who had a similar vaccine uptake, but have less excess deaths. And the argument there was, well, actually, Sweden's one of the most healthiest countries in Europe. But then that doesn't account for these younger people that are just dropping down, you know, these footballers who are dropping down and having cardiac arrests, which we were seeing on live TV and was actually really quite disturbing.
0: Yeah, we've never seen, I mean, we genuinely haven't. And I know this to be true because, you know, those of us who attend live games, we also watch it on Sky, on TNT, we watch it on Irish telly and it's just unprecedented. And to, to see games being stopped because somebody in the crowd has fallen unwell, that's basically, that is a new phenomenon and it's happening all the time. Poppy, look, um, um I mean, I I interview people with medical backgrounds regularly on the program a lot of doctors who i speak to especially in the last couple of years and like yourself these are properly qualified people just as you are and they're very concerned about this uh these mrna jabs, and they're saying that you know in their opinion the government really shouldn't have been giving a green light to these things because they're new in terms of they're very new vaccines and new technology and there was no kind of long-term safety data for them. How do you feel about that yourself? Is that something you, you can openly discuss? You know, the rollout of these jobs. I mean, were you concerned back in late 2020 when, the, when, the, when they released the vaccines? With your experience were you a bit, were you concerned about them? Did you, did you think maybe this is a bit soon maybe to come out with a vaccine? What were your thoughts at the time and how do you feel now?
1: Yes, absolutely. So back in 2021, when they rolled out the vaccine, I had some hesitations. So I actually got fired from my nursing position. I was working overseas as a nurse and I just was, I was just hesitant. That's what they called me. They called me vaccine hesitant because I wasn't confident with the data and it felt very, very fast. So I delayed my decision in having the vaccine. And as a result, I got fired from my job, I lost my work permit and I got kicked out of the country that I was working in. And during that process you know, I really looked at this idea of medical ethics, which is applying the practice of our medicine with related science, and it just felt a little bit too rushed for me. So I didn't have the vaccine. I lost my job. I returned to the UK unemployed and unvaccinated and the NHS wouldn't take me if I wasn't vaccinated. So now fast forward to 2024. I mean, I think we can all safely say if we haven't had the vaccine, we're probably quite um, grateful for that but i'm i'm very concerned about those who have because i feel medical ethics was completely disregarded and it's so sad for me now to speak to people who felt coerced into taking the vaccine who are truly regretful that they had to make that decision
0: do you mind me asking whereabouts were you when you lost your job because that's appalling
1: yeah yeah i was in the cayman islands I was in the Cayman Islands, living my best life as a nurse in paradise. Yeah. And, you know, I had a decision to make. Was I going to choose a life in paradise or was I going to choose to stand up for what I believed in? And of course, I went for, for the, the latter.
0: Isn't that outrageous? So they said, right, Poppy, you've got to have this job. And um, and my memory is pretty good. Yeah, the Caymans. I had a list at one stage on in the studio here of parts of the world, places, countries principalities all the places where 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 people were being basically bullied into it yeah the came so they said you got to have it you said no and they said well adios then off you go and that's pretty awful yeah. isn't it
1: and, and and the best the best bit about it is i didn't see a single covid patient until 2022 when i moved back to this country no way yeah serious
0: so it skipped the caymans then covid
1: yeah, they totally stomped on the curve. They locked down the whole island. There's sixty-five thousand people there. They did these hard lockdowns. They had helicopters going over the island, police roaming the streets. It was a fifteen thousand fine on the spot if you were caught outside your house. People returning to the island had to go onto an electronic tag and go into a two-week government facility. It was very, very strict rules there. And as a result, Cayman didn't see any COVID until 2022.
0: That sounds like something from a science fiction movie from the 70s, doesn't it? Or the 80s? It
1: was it was like a psychological thriller, honestly. And how did you get
0: I mean, you obviously as a as an essential worker, you weren't locked down. But how did I mean, you, you would have known natives on the island? How did they react to that level of control? I mean, was there any resistance to it at all? Were people upset by it?
1: there was more resistance from the local Caymanians than there were. There's a big expat community in the Cayman. There was definitely more resistance from the local Caymanians. You've got to love there was local Caymanians stood up with flags saying, let us fish.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, that yeah. scares scares the absolute bejesus yeah. out of me, you know. I mean, here, well, you know what went on here. Um, I, like most people I know, I didn't obey. You know, if I had to go somewhere, I went. We continued to get in the car and drive to the Pennines and other parts of, you know, greater Manchester, we went to the lakes with our dogs, even though we were told not to travel more than five miles. And not because I'm a heartless person who doesn't care about infecting people, but just because I felt it was ludicrous. You know, because they told us, Poppy, they told us in 2020 that this wasn't a high consequence infectious disease. They told us, they said this was going to be possibly harmful to very, very ill people with comorbidities or very, very senior people. And they told us that it wasn't going to be harmful for most people. So therefore, the idea that you would curtail your life and close down your business was, was crazy to me. But fair play to the Caymanians, K- t- t- K- if I can say that correctly. They, they, they stood up against it. Even though they risked massive fines, they said yeah. no way. Wow. And you were there. Absolutely. You've got to write a book about this eventually, Poppy.
1: Yeah, it'd make a good psychological
0: thriller, I'm sure. Wouldn't it? So you came back to the UK then and uh, look, well, thankfully you're back and working. You're, you're, you're doing your own thing now. For people, uh, the website, by the way, is MindfulNurse. MindfulNurse.co.uk. Do check out Poppy there and say hello to her through her own website. Um, we hear the term holistic all the time. If you had to explain yeah. it to somebody... We've never heard the term what does it mean a holistic approach to to care how do you explain it
1: thank you yeah so a holistic approach is is a whole person approach so rather than just looking at one aspect of disease which is what we do in the nhs we look at the person as a whole so we consider the mind body and spirit so for example if you go into the hospital with a heart problem the doctor's going to look just at that one organ they're going to look just specifically at the heart But the philosophy of holistic care is that actually there's a whole person there and we need to consider more than just that one aspect of disease. We need to consider their emotional well-being, their diet and nutrition, their stress management. And then the spiritual part of it is more about finding purpose in life. It's about having a belief. It's about understanding what your values are in life. So it really is this all encompassing whole person approach. And, you know, it's the very foundations of what nursing was built on. And we've completely lost all of those foundations of nursing through the way we practice medicine nowadays. So I've really fallen in love with this holistic way of practicing and i'm really trying to revive holistic nursing i think it's a, a big a big job but um it's my passion and that's that's what i'm doing at the moment
0: sounds brilliant and you you qualify and you get into nursing and i know we shouldn't see it as vocational we shouldn't but we, we always i'm i'm much older than you right so i've had nurses in my family and maybe to the detriment of pay and conditions we have, I think for too long, we've seen it as vocational, you know. And and that hasn't helped nurses over the years in terms of, as I said, working conditions and pay and what have you. But I I know that you get into nursing because you you love people and you care for people. I know this. You want to help people, so you get in. And was it from the get-go, so once you'd qualified and once you were in there, I mean, you've worked in acute care, you've worked in emergency medicine, you've seen it all. Was it those experiences that made you think, well, this is not... What it's cracked up to be, we're we're not really doing as well as we can for the patients. Was that kind of apparent to you early on, Poppy?
1: No, absolutely not. I've gone through nearly nine years of well, nearly seven years of nursing without really understanding the way that we practice. So I'm just kind of cruising through my nursing career, but you know, as a result of being fired from my job and everything that we went through with the COVID-19 pandemic, I really started to look at the way I was practicing and the way the healthcare system ran. And, you know, as part of being fired from my job, which was highly traumatic for me, I went through quite a big spiritual awakening, which I started to look at, you know, myself as a person, my purpose and the way I was practicing. And it led me directly down this holistic path. And, Once I discovered that, I realised, you know what, you know, this is, we should be doing this for people. It's such a a nice way to practice. So I really didn't wake up until 2021.
0: I have a few comments for you um, and then I won't keep you too much longer because I'm sure you've got to eat. I'm sure you've been working all day long. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mindfulnurse.co.uk Um, registered nurse poppy is on the program a decade of experience in clinical nursing and a master's degree in nursing and she put me proper there proper straight there it was during the whole covid experience that she began to see there was another way um to nursing was fired um in 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 paradise an ideal job poppy had in in the cayman islands and for saying no thank you this jab is maybe You know, maybe not properly proven or tried yet. Maybe I won't have it. She was fired. Um, An embarrassing thing for anybody, as she said, but she came back to the UK. She's building, uh, rebuilding her career and her business. As I said, the website, mindfulnurse.co.uk. Let me read a couple of comments for you, uh, Poppy. This one is from Christine, who says... Um, one of the things that we learned during the pandemic was that it's not a good thing to do to lock old people away in hermetically sealed rooms and leave them there without access to their loved ones. This can be even more devastating than any disease, says Christine. You see, I, I, I don't have your qualification or your experience, Poppy, but I would have thought, what a cruel thing to do to people in their 80s and 90s. Oh, yeah. Lock them oh,
1: away.
0: yeah, absolutely that-
1: you know what, it's absolutely heartbreaking and the, the result of what we're seeing now from the lockdowns, it is, it is through the all age groups, you know, it is the elderly people in the isolation and the loneliness, but also it's the children who weren't able to go to school that were forced to wear masks, you know, everyone has been impacted from the ages all the way through.
0: This one's from Ardle. He says, Richie, the British Heart Foundation put a press release out only, uh, January 22nd, so only 10 days ago. He says they admit that early death from heart disease has reached a 14-year high, Poppy. Wow. Isn't that an incredible stat? Now, look, you were professional enough to concede that some of that will no doubt be down to the fact that people didn't get scans. But the jabs are out there. And I... you you know, I don't do sensationalism on this programme. I don't do that. I only try to talk about the things I can prove. I know a number of people who are gravely injured by these jabs. And that's in Salford. And these are not conspiracy theory people. Uh, Some of them, they don't listen to programmes like this. But they had a jab and they developed um, thrombocytopenia and stuff like that upon having the jab. And, And yet you probably, I mean, you're busy, you're working. But the Prime Minister of this country yesterday was asked, and you'll know this now of course, Poppy, Andrew Bridgen was granted a question yesterday. He asked him, would he you know, be a bit wary of the fact that, like the post office scandal, th- the day might come in the future when he might be held to account, and Sunak stood up and he said the jobs are safe. How can they do that, do you think, with all of this evidence out there, that injuries are
1: everywhere? Um- I know. Well, that's why we need to stop talking about it, isn't it? And I think at very least, if there is speculation, if we are concerned, if people are stepping up and saying there's concern, why are we not at least holding the vaccines for now? Because they're still administering them. They're still doing the, the sixth booster, whichever one we're at now. And, you know, so at least I feel this should just be on hold until we know what's happening.
0: That's amazing, isn't it? Like I know, back in 1976 or 1977, they had a swine flu jab. There were a handful of injuries and a couple of deaths. This is in the United States. They immediately took it off uh, the schedule immediately. You know, we know that only back in 2010, twenty ten, twenty two thousand and nine, my memory is going as I get older. They brought out mm-hmm. pan, they brought out pandemics, didn't they, for swine flu and pandemics led to people having narcolepsy. So they withdrew this. Your question is really the sixty four million dollar question. Why would they not at yeah. least suspend it for a while? pending an investigation, but yet they they don't do that. Here's one from Lady Mole, and then I'm going to give you the final word, Poppy, and we let you go. Yeah. It's been nice to meet you today. Brave and wonderfully wise young woman. Well done. Uh, that's from Lady Mole there. Definitely a book in that story. Uh, Bruno says, Richie, very eloquent and very passionate. Poppy has a fantastic ability to clear, clearly respond to your questions with convincing facts. Now it's all over, would Poppy consider returning to paradise and working in the Cayman, says Bruno. Hmm. Well, Poppy, Caymans again.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I think um, Cayman was a bit too small of an island for me, but I enjoyed my <laughs> three years while I was there.
0: I had a brief fling with um, San Jose, Costa Rica, a brief a brief even fling, um, many years ago, and it was, you say paradise. I saw it all, Poppy, the turtles, everything absolutely oh, yeah. beautiful you know and of course the daiquiris and the uh, the the cocktails and, and all the rest of it listen brilliant if people want to find out more about poppy um and she is um taking on clients mindfulnurse.co.uk to find out all you need to know about a holistic nursing approach to healthcare for the mind body and soul nice to meet you today thanks for your time poppy
1: Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this so much. It's been great to connect with you and thank you to all the listeners as well.
0: My pleasure. Thanks Poppy. All the best for now. Again, the website is mindfulnurse.co.uk Check it out now. And Poppy has put a TikTok video out there. Nice one. Not one of these attention-seeking ones. But she saw the Bridgen meeting in the House of Commons with the other MPs who showed up where they talked about the abnormalities around excess debts. She made a video saying, look, we we need to talk about this because it's happening. She's seeing it herself in Devon and elsewhere. We are approaching 24 minutes to the top of the hour. It is Thursday's Richie Allen show. Let me read a few comments. A few more have come in on various topics. And i like to get uh, a broad range of opinion on this show. Hi to John, who says, Richie, what gets to me is that some people who are ill won't conflate the illness with the jab or at least wonder about it or ask any questions. It's a good point, John. That's a good point. Uh, You know, if you are of a certain age, if you're any age, if you're any age and you took a COVID jab and you are told by your doctor you've developed a clot, for example, doesn't matter what age you are, you've had the jabs, why would you not begin to wonder? Don't tell me that you're unaware that there are claims online and elsewhere about the jab and clotting. You must have heard this. So why would you put your head in the sand and ignore any discussion of it? I don't know, John. If I had had a jab and there was more chance of snowballs surviving a trip to hell and back than me having the jab. Of course I didn't and would never have the jab. But if I did and a doctor said to me, you have a blood clot, I'd be all over that. You know, I certainly wouldn't be ignoring it and pretending it didn't happen. Cookie says, Richie, I cried so much about this after working in the healthcare or sick care industry, says Cookie, knowing that the people who were cared for were the ones the family cared for. I can't imagine what those poor souls had to go through. And, of course, back in 2020, I interviewed a number of people. People phoned in to the phone-in show to say they had that horrible experience whereby they were prevented from seeing their senior relative in the care home where the relative was staying. And we had these awful scenarios where people were... Where, where, where senior people were wrapped up in a cocoon and they were driven to the front entrance of the care home and the family had to wave at them through the window of the car they were driving all of this craziness went on when you think back to the things that went on and let's be honest about it, there was no talk radio or any of that old bollocks or GB News all you had was this programme And a handful of others in the UK who were allowing people on air to say this is insane. Because the mainstream media was promoting this like it was absolutely normal. I remember watching Sky News Breakfast with Kay Burley. And they were filming this going on. They were filming people waving at their relatives through windows. And none of them were saying, is this right? Is this the right approach? You know, maybe we should listen to the Senior citizen, and ask them how they feel about it, and if maybe they take a chance with their grandchildren. This crazy shit went on. It went on, and th- there are those who are listening to th- to this program who 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 do believe if they tried to pull this scam again in eighteen months or two years, th- that people, many people, would still go along with it. And that that I don't know. Baird says my wife still works as an emergency care. Nurse, and it's a job she loved, but she hates it now because of what has happened to the people she sees coming in. Can she work with Poppy instead? Asks Baird. Well, mindfulnurse.co.uk is the website address. She can certainly say hello to Poppy there. Let me take a tune when I come back. More of your comments. Thursday's programme. The Papers is a podcast which uh, comes out every weekday morning, sometime around 7.30am, sometimes earlier. It'll be on air tomorrow. It'll be online tomorrow as well because it's Monday to Friday. Let me give a plug to The Papers. I have music from the police for you. At least I hope I do. Indeed I do. The Police, back with more in a moment. Yeah, music from the police, every breath you take on The Richie Allen Show. Uh, This from Patricia. Thank you, Patricia. Richie, I'm in the process of reading the book The Six Million Fact or Fiction by somebody called Peter Winter. It is very interesting and answers a lot of questions, says Patricia. Thank you, Patricia. That's where it all began for me. If you're new to this programme, you might wonder what, some of what Kevin Barrett and myself are discussing, you might wonder about it. That's where my harassment began five, six years ago. I interviewed a Holocaust denier. And during the course of the conversation, I conceded because I believe in telling the truth and, and, and damn to hell. You know, say what it is you really believe. Don't hide behind anything. And don't be worried about the consequences of saying what you believe because you can't, with, with a straight face, come and present a radio programme or anything. If you do not have the courage to say what it is you really believe and stand over it. So I was interviewing a guy um, about the Holocaust and he's a complete denier of it. And uh, we're having a chat. So I disagreed with him and I did concede. Not concede, but I did... Concede is is a very inappropriate thing. I didn't concede. What I said to him was, I said, I have a problem with the numbers myself. Six million is a massive number. You know, I said, I've been there, I've seen it, spoken to witnesses, um, read the transcripts of the trials. It's all there. But, yeah, six million is a bit high. And that's when they, and by they, I've got to say, Zionist groups in the UK, particularly a charity which uh, claims to look out for the interests of Jews, and an organisation which is, um, I I think it's called Hope Not Hate, which is a farcical organisation which acts as an attack dog to silence anybody that is challenging or questioning anything, anything at all, you know, whether it be gender ideologies, whatever hope not hate which is a ridiculous organization. So I, so I I I made a video I stood over what I'd said I said look um you know as a a guy who's very interested in history and who's traveled extensively in the region and um I've not seen anything in my lifetime that would lead me to question the entire story. I I believe and I know that the the third Reich had had identified the Jews um to be exterminated and wanted to kill Jews, you know, and 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 attempted to kill as many Jews as they could, and interred them. But um, yeah, for 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 what it's worth, I've always thought six million, Jesus, that's a, that's an enormous number, and that drove some people crazy at the time, and uh, they they came after me. Of course, I didn't go anywhere. It's not because I'm the hardest man that ever lived. I'm not even in the top ten million. Hardest men that ever lived. But I just don't give a shit about people. I don't care. They they went to Fab Radio in Manchester. They went to my accountants who are Jewish and tried to destroy me. Claimed claimed I was a Holocaust denier. you got to get him off. The papers printed it. The Guardian printed it. The Daily Mail printed it. He's a Holocaust denier. Of course I'm not. And that only went away when I threatened to sue people. There's a lesson. I've given you this lesson too many times I'll give it to you again. Um, only threatened to sue people who've got money. People who don't have money don't care. I mean, for libel. And I said, listen, I'm not going to let you away with it. You're not going to do that. Print the truth, which is, I said that, yeah, the number six million is a huge number, and I'm not entirely sure about that. To be honest, could it be possible? Was it logistically possible? And that's all I said at the time. And everything else I ever said was ignored and put to one side, which is what they do. And they came for me, I suppose. Um, There was a five-day Twitter thing. It was kind of huge at the time. Some people, you know, who had quite a bit to lose were brave enough to to jump in at the time on my behalf and say, this is completely unacceptable. Uh, The guy is um, not what you claim him to be. And, uh, you know, this is crazy. They posted photographs of me and my missus. They stalked us around Manchester. Uh, there were photographs put online of us in Dean's Gate. We were threatened with murder. Honestly, now, this is true. All of it is true. Address, photograph of the house, phone numbers were put online, and I eventually had that stopped because I'm lucky enough that I know some very clever people, people who work in tech and people who work in, who used to work in hacking and stuff, bright people, and they said, "Look, I-, I want to find out who these people are, who took the photographs." Then, you know put my 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 fiance's name online I thought, I need to stop these people, and I need to you know I need to involve some people in this, you know because I'd have a lot of friends in Republican circles and stuff and I said this is going to end and it did end it did end there was no bloodshed, there were no men, there were no footsteps and screams in the night, there were no heavy burly henchmen or any of that shit at all and um, people were found, and they were told what would happen if they continued it but but that opened my eyes, you know. And, of course, David Icke went through this for years and years and years, long before I ever went through it. And David Icke never denied the Holocaust, never said that Jews were not targeted for extermination, never said that Jews were not chased out of um, nation-states historically and scapegoated, which they were, like it or lump it. There are a lot of people who listen to me who d- hate, detest Israel, as I do. I despise Israel, hate the what it does, but I can't ignore that the country I live in and countries I've travelled in, like the United States, those countries, those governments have done worse. Now the people who really hate the Jews, they'll tell you, yeah they did, but they did those things at the behest of the Jews, which is bullshit. They did not. There are people, people do exist, who have an unhealthy obsession with Jewishness, and blame Jewish people for everything that goes wrong. And free speech reigns in my world so you can say whatever you want. I won't ban you. I, I'll even speak to you on this programme. As you've heard me over the years, Red Ice, Nick collerstrom David Duke was on with me. Didn't do very well, didn't have any answers. I interviewed a, a Californian would-be senator at one one time who said Jews are born with an evil gene and I brought him on. This is a free speech zone. I'll talk to anybody. Just don't expect me to agree with you all the time. But isn't it funny that you know, having travelled in the region and talked about it and interviewed survivors because I said to a guy I'm not sure about 6 million either you know, there's something very wrong with that, 6 million. That's how I was thinking at the time. And I talked about the stories, about the lampshades and stuff like this, the crazy stories that came out at the end of the Second World War and a group of people did everything they could to try and wreck me. They, they knew they couldn't stop me doing this. But they tried to get everybody I was working with to disassociate with me. So they said to my accountants, you cannot be his accountant. They said to the radio stations, you cannot broadcast him. They got in touch with my streaming company in California, which I don't work with anymore. Great guys. Shoutcast. They said, you can't stream him. He's a Nazi. And every one of them went, fuck off. He isn't. And you don't tell us who we do business with. I was kind of lucky. Maybe it wouldn't be the same now in 2024, but back in uh, 2019, yeah, it was early 2019 when when this all kicked off, I was lucky that I had people who would stand on a point of principle and say no. You know, my Jewish accountant said to me, even if you were a Holocaust denier, he said, "Uh, we'd still do business with you and we charge you ten times more, boom, boom, no. He didn't say that. (laughs) He said, um, you know, you can't do that. You can't cancel people because of their opinions, even if you find them repugnant. But they knew who I was, you know, and the sort of bloke I am. And that's how it was at the time. So, you know, people, people do occasionally accuse me of, you know, oh, Richie won't talk about this. I've talked about it over the years many times. And given the floor to people who'll tell you the whole thing was made up. I've invited them on. I've argued with them. And then I've said, thanks for that, goodbye. And I've argued with them. And the point I made to Kevin was um, what they were trying to do at the time was, it's not really about what I did or didn't believe. They were saying to me that it is untenable to speak to anybody who has an opinion that we deem to be unstable, to be that we believe to be absolutely abhorrent. And that's what they did when they told the Tories. You know the Tory party? Told all of its MPs not to come on this programme specifically. And I used to interview old Tory MPs, like, um, like Anne Widdecombe and Edwina Curry, would be regulars on my programmes. And they were told, don't go on his programme anymore. Why? Because he interviewed Holocaust deniers. And we talked at length about this at the time and how dangerous this was for free speech and for open discussion about anything. The idea that you could cancel somebody, not even for their own opinions, which is bad enough, but because you spoke to somebody who believes something we believe to be evil. It's absolute. I'm going to swear, fucking crazy. But I went through all of that, like, and it didn't stop me. I might interview a Holocaust and I are in the future. If somebody has any evidence, alright, I'll bring you on. I'll argue with you. But um, it was a strange old time that. We're coming up on five years now. It'll be five years in May when it all kicked off. But like I said, you'll never hear me play the martyr or play the victim because I'm not at all. And the information is the most important thing. The show, the topics, whether they be medical or geopolitical, I'm not important. The show is. I like to think the show is. But the lengths they went to back then to uh, to get rid of um, the show, kind of strange. It feels a long, long time ago now. You know? And the consequences, the consequences of it are still with me, because occasionally not so much anymore, thankfully, but occasionally I'll put a feeler out to a woman or a man who might be working in the public somehow, and invite them on and they won't know anything about me. And the initial answer will be yes. Because I, I always say, listen, I, I present a popular independent news radio show. Sounds very big-headed, but it isn't really. I and mean, they won't come on if you're talking to one man and his dog, right? So, yeah, right, Richie, thanks, yeah, sounds good. Then they'll come back and say, I can't. And it's usually because they read the Wikipedia page, which tells everybody that I'm an anti-Semite, which, of course, I'm the furthest thing from, right? Anyway, yeah, those were the days... But you look, that stuff is irrelevant now. I mean, we're we're way beyond even that. Like I said a few minutes ago, forget about what what happened in the Second World War. From, from, From here on in, they'll be banning people and threatening people not to go on his podcast or his radio show or her podcast or her Rumble video show. Why not? Well, because she interviewed somebody who says that women can't have penises. That's where it's all going, you see, if we allow it to go there. Anyhow, I'm done for today. I'd like to thank from the website mindfulnurse.co.uk uh, the lovely Poppy. It was nice to meet her. Uh, thanks to Kevin Barrett, my pal, uh, first hour. Kevin Barrett.substack.com, trucejihad.com. Check him out there. He's in Morocco these days. Um, next time you'll hear from me live will be Sunday for the melody program if it's your thing. 10 o'clock UK time Sunday morning The Richie Allen Show will be back next Monday and I've got some guests for you but I'm going to tease you I'm not going to say anything it'll be very interesting this coming Monday but uh, the Papers podcast will be online tomorrow uh, at around about 7.30am the Papers podcast of course that's it for me then deep breath relax dry January is over And there's a live football match on a little bit later this evening. I wonder what could happen. Speak to you tomorrow. Until then, bye now.